Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Is Wink in trouble? Leo has some layoffs. Breaking down the Nest news from last week, plus a conversation with Ben Stagg of Halo Smart Labs about their next generation smart smoke alarm, as well as the Nest Protect 2, all in this week's Smart Home Show. Hey folks, welcome to the Smart Home Show. This is Mike Wolf. Today's episode is brought to you by Soundwall. Soundwall at the intersection of art, technology, and sound. We'll hear more about Soundwall from Aaron Cohen, the CEO of the company, later in the show. But first, we'll be talking to Andrew Thomas, the co-founder of Skybell, about the week's news. What happened? It was a kind of interesting week, not the most positive week in the smart home. So we, we kind of slice and dice and talk through some of the, the things we're seeing in terms of like macro trends around the smart home, particularly around some of the news about companies like Quirky having trouble, as well as Leo. So definitely have a listen. In the second half of today's episode, we talked to Ben Stagg, the CEO of Halo Smart Labs, about their next generation smart smoke detector. We also talked with Ben about the new Nest Protect second generation from a guy who really knows smoke alarms uh, about some of the technology that's in that. So a great two-part episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And here's my conversation with Andrew Thomas. So to discuss the news of the week with me, I have Andrew Thomas, who is a co-founder of Skybell. How are you doing, Andrew? Great, Michael. How are you? Doing well. It's been an eventful. It seems like I say that every week. Like there's uh, every week seems like there's lots of stuff going on. This was like a weird week though because the news wasn't super positive. It seems like uh, we saw a couple things happen. We'll get to both of those. Um, the first, I, well, let's just start with Wink because the Wink news was kind of interesting. There's a piece in Fortune talking about how they're looking to possibly get out of hardware, making hardware, and they're also possibly looking at. Um, you know, there's a quote from Ben Kaufman saying, you know, it doesn't make sense for a startup to be funding another startup. So it kind of, for me, it told me that they're possibly looking to maybe sell Wink or get an investor Wink. So I thought that was pretty interesting news because they're a pretty high profile smart home startup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they had the good backing with, with Home Depot and they came out of, a, out of the gate with a lot of promise. And, you know, it's tough. It's really tough to make hardware and and I think that recall kind of put them back quite a bit too. So, you know, it's, uh, you hear things, you know, being in the industry, but, uh, you know, we'll have to see what shakes out for them. And I've always loved this idea of Wink, like the very, you know, description and the concept of this innovation company where they open source ideas um, and they, they work with really high profile partners like GE. But then when the, um, Quirky in particular, the idea of Quirky, but when they, they created their standalone company in Wink, I thought it was interesting and it made sense because they've done so much work in, in smart home, but it always struck me as an expensive business proposition to basically run two companies. And it looked like that's coming down to bear on them a little bit. I think so. I mean, we make, you know, one product and, you know, we won't be a one product company forever, but it's tough. It's tough when you're focusing on multiple products and a, and a hub and, you know, hub's got all those different radios on it. And I, I can't imagine it's got to be very difficult. And when you're going up against, you know, an Apple home kit and now Google with, uh, you know, the Nest Weave and Brillo, it's, it's tough. I, I can't imagine that, um, 
you know, they're going to be able to overcome the infrastructure advantages that both Apple and Google have. So, you know, it's going to be tough for them, I think, in the future. Well, they're interesting in that they have had great partnerships. I, th- I thought the Home Depot partnership was a really great ace in their pocket. But, you know, they ran into some turbulence about three months ago because they had this hardware recall. And that that seemed to me like maybe a turning point because when you have to do a recall as a startup, this so it seems to me to be so resource intensive. And if you look at Amazon, still it's, you can't. I don't think you could buy a Wink Hub. So that may have been, I think, the straw that broke the camel's back. I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I hope the best for them. And yeah. you know, they're a good group of guys, but it's yeah, that recall's a tough go. And then we also heard that a company called Leo, L E E O which makes a an interesting product. It's this product that basically isn't a smoke alarm or, or kind of a, a smoke detector, but it's a, one that actually – it's a device that is a nightlight that has a sensor in it or listens for uh, your smoke alarm to go off, and then it will send you orders. So I thought that was a kind of interesting approach and interesting enough to get a lot of funding. I think they got $37 million, which is a huge round nine months ago. And we heard this week that they're laying off 30% of the staff. So interesting, not deadly. Like it's not like uh, the nail's not in the coffin, but it, to me it looks like they're probably, to use like an old kind of terrible term, like right-sizing maybe the company and maybe right, slowing right. down the burn a little bit. Yeah, I, I think you're on to something there. I don't know if it's a signal of, of sales difficulty. Maybe it's just when you get a nice big tranche like that, a nice big funding round and you're ready to go, you gear up and – you might hire, you know, a few too many folks and then pull back a little bit. So perhaps that's why. But um, you know, it's a great product and again, great great group of people. Their team's phenomenal, and uh, we've met a couple of them. Great people over there. So you know, I'm sure they'll sure they'll be just fine. It's a small world. I think you you're one of these guys that I've seen. I saw you South by Southwest. Um, half the time I'm talking, to you, I think you're on plane. So I think you make the rounds. It's a small community in terms of the smart home startup world. It really is. It, it is a small group still, and a lot of the you know device manufacturers we all know each other and talk a bit, and but, you know collectively it's a great group of people, and it's a lot of really smart, bright people doing some innovative things. And I think to your point, you know, in one of your last articles is we're just trying to see where the dust settles. I think a lot of us have figured that this was going to be the case, and we were very happy to have this huge momentum build around IoT the last year. And I think some of the news you point out is that there might be a little bit of a slowdown. But you know, I think that's natural for a lot of industries. And it's nice to see us evolve into a natural industry, uh, you know, instead of just being the flash in the pants. So I think a lot of us are excited about it, uh, despite maybe the last bit of news to, to come out in the last week. Yeah, well, I wrote a piece about what I call um, basically a little bit of, a, 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 I guess, a shakeout because I think there's a lot of companies going after a lot of categories. I was talking to Phil Phil Dumas, who's the CEO of Unikey, and he called it, you know, we're in one IoT 1.0 um, where there's a lot of point devices, and then we'll eventually get to 2.0 where everything works together. But we're still kind of in this early part of the market that's somewhat reminiscent of, I think, the first kind of the early internet, right, where there's a lot of kind of interesting approaches, but a lot of the companies – uh, had had a uh, had some problems, you know. Accentuating all this, right, is hardware manufacturing. When we're talking about hardware, it, it makes it doubly hard. So I think it'll be interesting to see where everything shakes out. I don't, you know, there was some also some research from a company called Argus, which was interesting, talking about social signals and pointing to, 
you know, an overall drop in interest. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think everyone I'm talking to in certain point product categories, there seems to be demand for some of these hero products, right? So whether it's locks, um, I think, you know, based on my understanding, what you guys are doing, the volumes are growing month over month. So I don't necessarily think I see a drop in overall interest. I th- just think that there's a flood of products from a lot of different companies. I would agree with you. I think you said it best. You know, we're searching for that divi- uh, defining use case or the hero products. And I think the hero products are doing fine or maybe are doing better. I think the slowdown might be those peripheral devices that are some of the nice-to-haves but aren't maybe need-to-haves. And, you know, we're seeing people gravitate towards home security. And I think a lot of people gravitate to the, um, you know, money-saving devices like a Nest. So it's, I think there's a lot of either save me money or, or keep me safe. And those are sort of pillars that people are drawn to. And then, you know, in the case of Skybell, they're drawn to the device for home security. But then there's these nice convenience benefits that sort of augment that pillar of, of value. So it's the, you know, I don't have to get up to answer the door when I'm feeding my baby. Or if we're back by the pool, I can just say, hey, come on back. You know, um, these are nice things that sort of augment the, the pillar, which is home security. And I don't think all the devices in IoT um, have that pillar value yet. And maybe maybe they don't, or maybe they just, we haven't told the story enough to the consumers. But I think some of the slowdown in that Argus report is probably some peripheral devices slowing up, and you're going to see a little bit of a shakeout, and people are going to gravitate to those hero products and those defining use cases. Yeah, and I don't think they looked at service provider managed, right? So if you look at Comcast or you look at uh, Time Warner, if you look at AT&T and their offering, I mean, those guys are growing fairly strongly. You know, it got to the point where Time Warner, Time Warner had to break out their managed smart home and managed security side of things. So I think when you look at the, the totality of what I would consider smart home or, 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 you know, you have to include the DIY, but you also have to include service provider managed. And those guys are pouring tons of money into marketing it. And they're trying to treat it as the fourth leg of the, the stool because they're going from triple play to quadruple play. And they're investing a lot of money. And I think they're seeing fairly strong growth based on what I'm hearing. You know, I think that they have been making great progress, making transition from, you know, what, what they had with home security offerings and evolving into home automation. They've, they've already done a great job. The, I think it's just starting. So I see this, this reported lull um, sort of as a nice contraction before the next wave happens. And I think the fact that these companies are investing money and energy into building um, and expanding these services points to the potential of this market. So I think the the MSOs and the ISPs are in great positions to bring home automation into the homes of consumers and piggyback on the infrastructures they already have and you know the subscriber subscribers that they already have on their platforms. So. I think they're in great positions to to really roll out and start rebuilding that demand. And I think one other thing is that maybe some folks, they don't understand yet why they want this. You know, it's a lot of the folks, it reminds me a lot of social media. You know, a lot of people are, well, why do I need to know any of this? And then they start using it and they're like, wow, I see a lot of utility that I didn't necessarily predict that I would get from social media. And then soon you've got more people adopting the technology and I think if people started trying some stuff that they'd, they'd find that they really like it. And I think the MSOs are in a good position to do that. I do think that consumers still don't go to buy smart home products. I think they're going to buy categories of products, right? So 
someone's looking in the paper. They're they're looking online for a, a net cam. They're looking online for. I, I've heard that Philips Hue lighting is pretty cool, but I think still in their mind, you know, we in the industry call it smart home or, or whatever. But I think a lot of people, the newer entrants, kind of as we move down the bell curve of adoption, I think all these people are just thinking, okay, that's a cool idea. Um, I can watch my dog while I'm at work. So they're they're so selling the consumer on this broader concept of where everything connects together. We're definitely not there yet. You know, I would agree, and, and we ask our Skybell customers, you know what other products do you have? And a lot of times they don't have another one. They bought a smart doorbell, not a smart home, to your point. So I think when we ask them, though, are you inclined to get another one? They say yes. So I think you you can continue looking at these point solutions, you know, the the video doorbell, the thermostat, the uh, the lock, these endpoint solutions as as solving a need for this person. And then they sort of understand, wow, this this could be the start of something bigger. And, you know, you kind of spark their interest to go down that route. So I agree with you 100%. Let's talk about the news uh, that came out of Nest this week. They had a press press uh, announcement. They had a pe- bunch of people in a room. I think they sent the invites out about a couple weeks ago. So it kicked off a ton of speculation about what we're going to see. Um, I predicted that they do refreshers on all the products, and they did. And then last week news came out that they would have a security camera. So that's what we got. We got what is a security camera, which was from the, what we're hearing, they, they basically – built a new camera from the ground up didn't do didn't take a lot of what was going on within the drop can company and and work for that it looks like they kind of started from scratch and they refreshed uh the nest protect as well as the thermostat were you underwhelmed overwhelmed i, I was a little bit under, underwhelmed and i was a little i was hoping for a new product uh but we i guess we kind of got one the security camera but i didn't think, think overall the news was overwhelming you know i i don't know that it was overwhelming or underwhelming i think you know, what I appreciate about Nest is their attention to detail and they want to do things right. They really want to make meaningful experiences and they want to make really good products. So I can appreciate the fact that they just said, let's refresh what we've got. Let's make them all better individually and then let's start building, you know, the connections to make them smarter as a whole. And I thought that the, you know, the visual analytics was really interesting, you know, setting these these cue points or these action points, um, you know, through streaming video is, is a pretty cool thing. And just sort of diving into more analytics off what you can do with that video stream was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of us thought that, uh, some other products were coming and you know, that, that wasn't the case. So what you're telling me is I was getting a little greedy and hoping for more is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, maybe perhaps, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. You can't, I mean, I, you can't blame me. I, I can't at all. You got to figure that, but they've been doing this for, for a little while and they're great at innovating products. So I don't uh, blame you for thinking another one was coming. It came on the heels of Brillo and Weave being announced, but I don't think either of those, I definitely don't think uh, Brillo was included, but it probably was too close. I think those initiatives were started to where the, and the, and the development cycle on a piece of hardware is just too long. Uh, so I, I, I guess I'm not surprised that that didn't happen. What's that exactly with Brillo? Well, so Brillo is their IoT operating system, and my understanding is not none of these products are using Brillo, right. well, at least the the new Netcam. But that's not surprising, and you can't really fault them because that's a fairly new initiative, and I think they're still working on it. Absolutely, and that's you know, whenever you're diving into the communication layer, it gets it gets difficult. This stuff, you know, Apple iPhone comes out and just made 
Wi-Fi seems so easy, and it's it's not always easy. These communication protocols are difficult to do. So, I think taking your time there is especially uh, especially smart on any communication layer. So, with regards to all, you know the news we heard about Wink and with Leo, um, do you think we're going to see more of this? Do you think we're going to see other? There, maybe there's some other companies. Is this the tip of the iceberg? You may see some other uh, shakeouts or some companies um, either have to kind of sell out or, or close down. You know, I do see, I do see a little bit of a slowdown just because we've moved so quickly to get here, and I think that we've, as an industry, done a great job showing what we can do to the early adopters, the tech first adopters, and and they see the vision of the smart home. But I think we're going to need to see, you know, some Apple, uh, Google you know, maybe Comcast come bring the smart home to the masses and put these products in front of people in a way that just works, right? It's always that just works factor. So I think there will continue to be a little bit of a a lull from now until that adoption happens with the next, um, you know, the next plot on the, on the adoption curve. So I, I I could see it. I could see the hubs, you know, these third party hubs maybe having a, a harder time. And again, some of those peripheral devices that are, are, you know, fall more into the gee whiz category than the, you know, got to have it category. Well, I think one of the new got to have categories, and I'm, I'm, I'm completely playing to my guest on the show today is video doorbells. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is a product that you guys make, and you've been a guest on the, uh, on the show before, but tell everyone what the Skybell is. Sure. Yeah, the Skybell is a Wi-Fi video doorbell. So it replaces your current doorbell, and when someone presses the button, it sends a live video feed to your smartphone so you can see who's at your door, and you can see, hear, and speak with them, and they can hear and speak back to you. So you can have a two-way conversation, and then you get to see them. And it has a motion sensor and night vision. So basically... It becomes an extension of, you know, a security system or sort of a DIY security solution at your front door. A lot of people are concerned, and when the doorbell rings, they want to see who's there. And now you can do that whether you're at home, or you can see who's coming to your door when you're away. Okay, a couple uh, views from the trenches or at least uh, incidences. So first of all, my doorman, my uh, my mailman says it's the coolest doorbell he's ever seen as I pick up the package from him. And then secondly, I was in Hawaii uh, on my anniversary with my my wife. And uh, I was able to actually talk with my daughter because she was coming home with uh, her grandma. So uh, it's, it actually is pretty cool to be able to do kind of those remote conversations. And, of course, I probably could have picked up the phone or Skyped with her, but I think it's cool to actually talk through the doorbell. Yeah, I mean, that's great to hear it. The That kind of goes back to the sort of the pillar value and then the, you know, the peripheral benefit. And, you know, it's we always say it's the moments, you know, when you're scared that Skybell really helps, but it's also the moments you didn't see coming. It's it's when your daughter comes home and presses the button or we have a lot of um, families where their kids are four or five and they know that if they go outside and press Skybell, they can talk to mommy or daddy. And it's those kind of cool little human touches that brings a new element to Skybell that a lot of people didn't realize they would get when they bought a video doorbell, you know, for that security piece. So. It's been a really great story to to bring to the market and a good a good story to bring to IoT and you know to your point and what we're talking about today I think we've been able to resonate with people with that human need for for more safety around their homes 
But I think people have also seen Skybull as sort of a, a great first step into IoT. Um, you know, we're outside the home. So a lot of people uh, have said they're still a little concerned about having cameras in the house. So we're outside the house and it alleviates some concerns. And, and also the security thing. If, you know, something happens, you know, it's not like a lock or, or something else that's controlling access into the home. So I think we have a, an easier position to say, you know, yeah, I like this idea. I like this idea of seeing who's at my door and this, you know, is a comfortable way for me to, to do that. Where are you guys available now? You're um, on Amazon, of course, but are you at brick and mortar right now? Yes. Yeah, so we're in the Best Buy home automation section. And I think, I think it's 400 Best Buy stores now. And we're on Amazon.com, Best Buy.com, and now Home Depot.com. You alluded to new product categories. You're probably not ready to share what's next. Or are you? Could we break some news today? No, you know, maybe not today, <laughs> but maybe we could break some news uh, in the future. You know, I think we're, um, you know, just trying to find new ways to to give people more of what they want with, with home automation and I think what it's capable of doing from a home security standpoint. So we got some good stuff going. Of course, uh, you'll be you'll be in the early uh, the loop, Michael. Hey, Andrew, thanks for spending some time with me, telling us what's up and discussing the news uh, of the week. And uh, I, I think you're building a hardware product, so you probably need to get back to doing that because it's, it's actually a lot harder than talking to people on the phone. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty challenging, but luckily it's a lot of fun, and I love doing it. So it's always great to talk to you, though, Michael. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. And now for a message from our sponsor. This week's sponsor is Soundwall, a company that's beginning to ship product that may be a whole new category in the smart home. I spent some time with their CEO, Aaron Cohen, and asked me what exactly is a sound wall. Sound walls are canvases that you would hang on your wall like any other painting, Mike, but they emanate um, amazingly large and detailed sound. So you can sort of see it as a mashup of art and music or a mashup of, say, Instagram and Sonos. Instagram meets Sonos. That's, I like that description. So what is the number one type of art or, or picture that people ask you to combine with the speaker? Well, the number one thing that people come to us with is, hey, can I put my wedding photo along with my wedding song on a picture? And I think that's a really good idea, but the truth is what you can do is combine any visual artwork with any kind of sound. And so artists can do that to make specialized artworks. People who look at the things that are on their walls and think, hey, this reminds me of this can play through Spotify or Pandora or anything the way you would with any wireless speaker. I asked Aaron why he wanted to advertise on the Smart Home Show. And he said, you know, it's a perfect audience, early adopters, understand technology. But being like the really good podcaster I am, I had a hard-hitting question for him. You got to put your money where your mouth is. You could say nice things about my audience, Aaron, but are you going to give them a discount? I am. How about um, for all of June and July? We give a hundred bucks off your first order. How do they get it? Do they is there like a page they go to? How do they get that? Well, you know what? I'm going to go old school with you here. I'm going to say email me directly at Aaron at Soundwall dot com because I think I want to know. Uh, I think I want to know everyone who who takes advantage of this first offer. Now, if we get overwhelmed because your listenership is in the hundreds of thousands. Millions. We'll change it up next week. Millions. You I want to say millions? My potential millions of listeners. Or thousands, well, let's be realistic, thousands of listeners, to actually email, potentially email Aaron at soundwall.com? I, I do want, I, I want that to happen because I want my, I want relationships. I'm appreciative of it.
Soundwall, at the intersection of art, technology, and sound. Check out soundwall.com for more details. Also, email Aaron at soundwall.com. That's A-A-R-O-N at soundwall.com to get your special discount. Folks, email him with questions. Even if you don't want to actually buy one yet, if you have questions, I'd suggest you do it. Overwhelm him with emails. Show him you're supporting the Smart Home Show. And now, back to the show. And for the second segment of today's Smart Home Show, we spent some time with Ben Stagg, the CEO of Halo Smart Labs. Halo makes a next-generation smoke detector. They just finished a successful Indiegogo campaign and expect to ship in the fall. And so we talk about that. And also with the Nest Protect news, I asked Ben to talk a little bit about the new Nest Protect second generation and some of the features they have on that. So, so if you're interested in nerding out about smoke alarms, connected smart smoke alarms, this is a great segment. Have a listen. You guys have created a, a next-generation smoke detector that has some features that I haven't seen on the market. Um, it has a couple sensors in it. So why don't you explain it? Because I think you'd probably do a much better job. Sure. Yeah. So when we started kind of going down this path, you know, for us, safety and security was a priority. And in digging into the technology behind effective smoke detection, we found that there are essentially two types of sensors for detecting smoke. Um, both have strengths and weaknesses. You've got ionization, which is really good at detecting fast-burning fires quickly. And then you've got photoelectric, which is really good at detecting smoldering fires, like when, when a cigar is left on a, a couch cushion, for example. And, you know, there's been a, a lot of work over the last couple of decades to try and improve these technologies and reduce false alarms. Um, but, you know, very rarely uh, has there been enough processing power, basically, to be able to use two sensors effectively and get the best of both worlds while simultaneously reducing the potential for false alarms in both. So ours is the, uh, is the first smoke detector to combine both photoelectric and ionization sensors with a carbon monoxide sensor and a single device. Now, most smoke detectors out there only include ionization sensors, correct? Most of the, the smoke detectors that are out there currently in use and available on shelf in, in most any retailer are typically the ionization type. But, you know, where the smoke detector's average lifespan is 7 to 10 years, that's the, the recommended replacement schedule from the NFPA, um, you still got some legacy ion smoke detectors out there, but a lot of people are moving towards photoelectrics because they are better at determining those, those slower smoldering fires. The, the discrepancy in single-sensor type smoke alarms is drastic when you compare um, a photoelectric's ability to determine smoldering fires quickly versus an ionization. It can take 20 minutes or more for an ionization sensor to pick up um, a, a foam or smoldering fire, for example. Um, but the difference for a, a photoelectric sensor to be able to determine a fast-burning fire is typically only a difference of 30 seconds to a minute. Now, it's a, a significant difference when you're talking about single-sensor smoke detectors. But, you know, for us, the question was, Okay, that 30 seconds or a minute or a minute and a half can be the difference in somebody trying to escape a, a burning house. Why would you not have both? And so yours is the first that combines both that you know of. And and the the difference you say nowadays is the processing power. So what, tell me a little bit about that. It, because of the advances in microprocessors, you can, you can do this affordably, whereas in the past people have not been able to do that? And, and, you know, that's exactly right. So typically the, the sensor data that would come in was relatively raw and, you know, based on a threshold, you would produce an alert. It was that simple. And trying to do that effectively, trying to get these sensors to, you know, you and I know the difference between burning toast or a steam shower. 
and an actual fire. But as far as the smoke sensors were concerned, all they knew was that there was a particulate in the air. So their job was to produce an alert and let you figure out what it was. Um, we're smarter than that. Sensor technology has gotten better than that. And now with today's kind of low-cost, small-footprint microprocessors, we can get these sensors to, to, instead of just relaying raw data, get them to translate that data into relevant information and then use that to go through a, a type of filter where it's better able to determine the false alarms. Talk about where you, uh, some of the other features, because I think it does more than that. You, you, I think in your, your backstory that I read on Indiegogo, you talk about um, there's, there's scenarios where people actually could be uh, alerted to things like hurricanes coming. Uh, and that might be, uh, why wouldn't you use an alarm in your house to notify you of natural disasters or something like that? It's, these are one of the features that you have in your alarm, right? That's correct. So our Halo WX is, a, is the only device that combines alerting technology for hazards in and around the home. And this is actually our, this is the, the core product that, that launched the company. And this, you know, as you saw in the campaign, this was born out of the Joplin tornado in 2011. Uh, my dad lives right outside of Joplin. And while he and my stepmother were fortunate enough to, to get some advanced warning and get to the neighbor's storm cellar in time, by the time they got there, the storm was really strong, and, you know, it, it, it was a close call for me and, and a loved one. I thought, okay, there's got to be a better way to, to produce these emergency messaging. You know, NOAA National Weather Radio Service Radio has 96% coverage in the United States. Tornado warning lead times have increased almost 50, 15 minutes. Uh, but yet consistently we're finding that the lack of messaging or consistent messaging is a significant contributor to the loss of life in these events. So, you know, taking a look at the, the user behavior behind it, you know, why don't people trust weather radios? Why aren't people getting the message? Uh, you know, there was, we had to find something ubiquitous, something that people understood and, and could closely associate with. So it, it was almost natural to include uh, environmental hazards in a device that was already made to do that inside the home. Um, but then, you know, we kind of took it a step further. And then once we, we started working on the smoke detector portion of this combined device, that's when we found out that, that smoke detectors had the same hurdles, you know, legacy technology, designs that were aging, a lack of, you know, attention to detail in the aesthetics. Uh, it had become a, a forgotten category. And this was prior to, to the release of the Nest Protect. And for us, you know, obviously that was a, a huge validation that there was an opportunity to improve the product, not just from the technology side, but that this could be uh, an important part of people's lives. So, you know, the, the weather radio is an important functional feature in providing additional alerts. But, again, going back to that, that user behavior, when you start diving into why smoke detectors are often ineffective, uh, it comes down to when people take them off the ceiling, you know, when the battery dies, when it's chirping, when it's dirty. People will take a marginally effective smoke detector and put it in a box or put it in the garage, and they've gone from marginal protection to none. So we wanted to include features that would reduce the likelihood that somebody would, would take it down and stop protecting their family. I, I would venture to bet, this is just me, I may be wrong, you probably have research, like people take them down when it starts chirping at 3 in the morning and they just want to get back to bed. Like I've done that before and I, I put them back up, but I don't know, have you looked into this? Is that when like the majority of people take them down and angrily throw them in a, in a, in a <laughs> you know, in a shelf or something? And that's exactly it. And, and no, I can't go beyond anecdotal research, but I can tell you that during the development of this product, 
my partner literally went through that exact scenario. And, you know, people joke about, you know, it always chirps at 2 in the morning, but it is very consistent that people find these things chirping between 2 and 3 a.m. Um, and, yeah, you know, all you want to do is go back to bed. And, you know, when you've got a device that's built to do a job and when it's got a limited way to connect with you, it's got it's, it can make one noise and that's it. So you don't know what the problem is. In a lot of cases, you don't know where the problem is. So even if you're able to identify exactly which one was chirping, you know, if you've got a 2,500-square-foot home, you've got a one out of seven chance of hitting it on the first try. And, you know, it's always the last one you look at. So how many different areas of your home had to reduce their protection in order to find out find this one device? And And I commend you for being one of the people that puts them back up because, you know, again, anecdotally, not a lot of people go that far. I know this is like a, a, a dream feature that I don't think anyone can solve, um, but but it's based on the natural disasters where I live in. But like I live in earthquake country. Like I don't even think people can accurately predict earthquakes. But if you looked into that, would be a great feature maybe down the road if we ever get to the science of being able to predict earthquakes based on seismic activity at some point. Absolutely, and the answer is yeah. We we have looked into that. You know where the the company and the products were all built with a, a singular goal to to save lives. Um, anywhere where that's potentially impacted, if there's an opportunity to make home a safer place, then that's an area we really want to focus attention. And you're right. There's not the, the technology out there to um, proactively identify seismic activity to a level of, of degree where, you know, the warnings are timely and relevant. Um, but that's not to say that there's not a ton of geologists and great scientists and universities trying to do that. Um, for now, though, for now, what we are able to do is in the event of an earthquake, um, you know, we're able to, to help people after the fact. The device has a, a seven-day battery backup, including this all-hazards alert feature. So in the event of an earthquake, while there may only be seconds worth of warning and whether there's an, a, a mechanism by which that alert is able to go out, our device is able to continue relaying emergency information like safe evacuation routes, where to find clean drinking water or medical attention for up to seven days after a complete and total power outage in an area. You mentioned Nest Protect. We can't help but talk about that because, obviously, like you said, it validated the market for you a little bit. They just announced this week the, the second-generation Nest Protect. How would you compare what they have in terms of a feature set to what you guys have? You know, we, we have to give Nest credit. Um, you're right. They, they certainly opened the market up, and they certainly opened the eyes of, of consumers and retailers as to what the upper end of fire protection could look like in the home and what features could be available using current technology and design principles. Um, the, the most recent product certainly took uh, took the right approach to it. You know, they had some minor issues. Everybody does in every product that goes out. Um, it's not a matter of will things go wrong, but how do you address them when you do have issues? And I think they did a great job of listening to their customers, identifying the scenarios in which, you know, these, these hurdles would occur, and they did a great job of, of trying to address those as best as they could. Um, one of the most exciting features, I know that you know, this this wasn't the, the shiny piece everybody latched onto, but it's one of the one of the pieces I'm really excited to see in the industry, and that's that they actually took a fresh look at the detection technology. So this uh, this dual spectrum technology makes perfect sense uh, at a very basic level. The, the shorter the wavelength, the easier it is to break those beams, detect smaller particulates. So, you know, it, overall, it's, it's very good for the industry because for the first time, you know, it's, 
It's somebody going in with a fresh set of eyes and saying, listen, there's, there's got to be a better way. Nothing's off the table. Let's see what we can do to improve people's lives and safety at home. And the split-spectrum sensor, uh, the dual-spectrum sensor you mentioned, that, that was, uh, I think some people were writing about that. That is interesting. What that does from a, a user standpoint is it'll detect things quicker and faster. The idea there is that it bridges the gap between uh, photoelectric and ionization. So ionization, again, um, you know, with fast-burning fires, the particulates are very, very small. And with a photoelectric, um, the, the particulates for a smoldering fire are very large. So that's why it's able to almost, well, it does. It, it ignores some of the finer particulates in a fast-burning fire, like if you were to burn toast. Um, and, yeah, the, I believe the theory behind it is that these smaller wavelengths, smaller um, beams in which it's able to, to pick up finer particulates, you know, it should help improve some of the false alarm pieces, but more importantly, it should be able to, to better detect some of the smoldering fires where photoelectric is naturally a little weaker. But you guys still have a leg up, I think, with your some of the features you have, such as the natural disaster warning and some other features. So where can people find out more about the Halo's smart uh, smoke detection system? The best place is to check us out at halosmartlabs.com. Hey, this has been great, Ben. Thanks for educating us a little bit on these next generation detectors and telling us a little bit about what you guys are doing. You guys actually just had a pretty successful uh, Indiegogo campaign. You surpassed your goal. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Yeah, we, we wouldn't be here without all the supporters and backers, Indiegogo and otherwise, who have who've helped us try and make this a reality. And when can people buy uh, one of these if they weren't a backer? Our goal is to be in market this October for Fire Safety Week. So hopefully, as long as everything keeps moving the way it is, uh, you should be able to get your halo as early as this fall. Awesome. Hey, thanks a lot, Ben. Thank you, Mike. That's it for today's Smart Home Show. Thanks for listening, guys, and happy Father's Day for you fathers out there. It's uh, Father's Day here as I'm recording this. I'm about to publish it. Uh, hope you enjoy it. If you haven't already wished your father happy Father's Day, go do so. If you're a father, happy Father's Day. I know that my kids have donuts waiting for me, uh, so I'm going to go eat some donuts right now. Bye, everyone. Oh. Oh.